Amen. It is good to sing to the Lord this morning because he is risen. Amen. So this morning I'm going to be looking at several passages of scripture. And so I want you to listen, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to try to have it on the screen if we can. But this morning, I want you to focus your attention really on what happened on the cross and where it led to. The resurrection is what essentially makes Jesus different from all the earthly would-be prophets and messiahs. They did not rise from the dead victoriously. They all died. They left their, dec- de- de- their decaying corruption in the grave. But not so with Christ. He is risen. The resurrection proved all that went before was true and demonstrated that Jesus is the divine son. Even as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 4, he says, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, that the resurrection declared the true identity of Jesus, that he was Jesus, God's son. And the term declared in scripture, declared to be the son of God, is really an interesting word. It means to fix, it means to determine, it means to mark off. But it's an interesting word, When we move it into English, it's the Greek word, horizo. We get the word horizon from it. Scripture is saying that Jesus is fully divine, God's son. And the Bible says that in his resurrection, he was declared the son of God with power. And this does not mean that the resurrection made Jesus the son of God. It demonstrated that he was the Son of God. The point being, as clearly as the horizon divides the earth from the sky, so the resurrection divides Jesus from the rest of humanity. His eternal deity was strikingly and clearly manifested through his physical resurrection. An agnostic professor once said to a little girl who believed in the Lord Jesus, he says, there have been many who have claimed to be Christ. How can you be sure who told you the truth? Which one do you believe? And without hesitation, the youngster replied, I believe the one who rose from the dead. See, my friend, the resurrection enables us to see Jesus as he really is, and who he is. He's God. And this is the good news. Without Jesus, there is no good news. Without Jesus, there is no hope for everlasting life. Without him, no freedom from slavery of sin and its condemnation. Without Jesus, we cannot move from faith to sight in the promises of God. On one occasion, Michelangelo turned to his fellow artist and said with frustration in his voice, why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures on the one theme of Christ, Christ on the cross, and most of all, hanging dead? 
He asked them, why do you concentrate on that passing episode as if it was the last word, as if the curtain dropped down and disaster and defeat ensued? And then he says, that dreadful scene was only a few hours. But to the unending eternity, Christ is alive. Christ rules and reigns and triumphs. Michelangelo was right. Even though the cross is vitally important because of the redemption Jesus accomplished for us there, we must not emphasize his death to the exclusion of his resurrection victory. And that's what it was. It was a great victory. It was the greatest victory ever accomplished. It was accomplished and finished by Jesus Christ on the cross. So that very word victory assumes some battle or conflict, conflict took place. In the great resurrection passage that we read this morning, the Apostle Paul also said there, and he proclaimed, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is obvious from this passage that it is not we who fight in order to win the victory. It is God who gives us the victory. It is, it, it is and it was God himself who took the initiative. In other words, redemption and salvation are entirely of God. And it also means that we could have done nothing in order to fight and win in such a battle. And why is that? Because we are children of Adam, dead in our sin, and we can do nothing at all whatsoever to save ourselves. There was also a story once told of a little boy who fell into a pit. And as night, with all the dangers of wild beast drew near, he couldn't get out. He trembled with fear, and a crowd from the town gathered around, and one person told them that he was a foolish boy to fall to a pit. Another said he was naughty to be playing near the hole. He should have known better. A third person told him to get out as he got in, but he could not do so. Another threw a stick to, for him to hold on to, but the stick broke. Of all things, someone even lectured him that when he did get out, he must never fall in again. And as night drew near, a very strong, kind man went down into the pit himself and picked the boy up and lifted him out. See, it's kind of a picture of us that we have not just fallen into the pit, but we were dead in the pit, unable at all whatsoever to rescue ourselves. We were spiritually dead, as the Bible says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and that's why we are dead, because of our sins and because of our offenses against God. And there's no better word to describe man 
in his fallen and depraved condition than being dead. Just as a physically dead person does not respond to physical stimuli, so a person spiritually dead is unable to respond to spiritual things. A corpse does not hear the conversation going on in the funeral parlor. He has no appetite for food or drink. He feels no pain. He's dead. And just so the inner man of the unsaved person, his spiritual faculties are not functioning. They cannot function until God gives that person life. It was one old saint from the past who brought this to the attention of his readers and hearers of his day that were steeped in spiritual darkness and spiritual death. And he said there are five enemies that have to be dealt with before anyone could be saved. There's sin, there's the law, there's the wrath of God, there's Satan, and there's death. All of those have to be conquered before anyone could be saved. And Scripture affirms that Jesus definitely dealt with these five enemies quite effectively on the cross of Calvary. No one but the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God could have borne that punishment in his body on the tree on that day. So this morning, I really want you to take notice of the five enemies to be conquered before anybody could be saved. All five enemies had to be conquered before there could be resurrection, before there could be life. See, resurrection is victory. And it's not so much that Jesus is pictured hanging on a cross, but what was accomplished there on the cross? What was the What was conquered and defeated there on the cross? That's the important thing. So here's the first enemy to be conquered, and it's the enemy of sin. We were born into this world as sinners, every single one of us. Our hearts are depraved, and so we grow up in sin, and we commit sins of word. We commit sins of thought. We commit sins of deed. We do not love the Lord with all our heart, our mind, and our soul, and our strength, like the Bible requires for us to do as creatures of God. God has given us the holy law, the Ten Commandments, and we break them, and we're guilty. We we deserve eternal punishment, for it says in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, and not only physical death, spiritual death, but if someone doesn't believe in Christ, even eternal death. So how did Jesus defeat this enemy of sin? Well, by becoming sin. It says in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That's what he did for us. So sin was dealt with in a substitute. And the result of that was that the sins of God's people or the sins of those who believe were covered. And substitution means that one person 
is put in the place of another. Substitution must be a, a sufficient and a satisfactory sacrifice. And out of that sacrifice, we get the word atonement. And the uh, idea of atonement is co a covering, that our sin has to be covered. And another way to say the conclusion of that is that we're forgiven by God. And the way God covers sin of one who comes to believe and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is by his blood. The Bible says by the shedding of blood and the washing and cleansing of the blood, we can be forgiven. Even in, in the Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us the blood of Christ through whom the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to do what? To cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, our faith communicates to our conscience that we have been pardoned only through the precious and shed blood of Christ. And there's a big theological word that comes in view here, and it's the term expiation. And expiation means sin is placed upon Jesus or someone else. In other words, my sin is removed from me, and the punishment is removed from me and given to Jesus. So what Jesus offered to God the Father was done for us. So then when, when, when really your own son sins cry out against you, the blood of Christ speaks on your behalf. When, when our conscience cruelly condemns us, the blood of Christ cries for forgiveness. See, Christ's atonement fully satisfied the demands of God's righteousness so that forgiveness and mercy are guaranteed to those who receive Christ in humble and repentant faith. We re accept the responsibility of our sin and so believe in God's word that in the death of Christ, sin is dealt with, conquered, and we can have forgiveness because of that. Now, that means that either your sin is conquered in Christ or you are still under its condemnation. They're, they're, that's the only two positions someone could be in. So the first enemy to be conquered is sin. The second enemy to be conquered is the law. Our own sin made the law of God our enemy. And the law had to be given in order that we might see and that we cannot even keep it. The law could not save us because we could not keep it. The, the law, what the law actually does is condemn us in our sin. And the law was really never given to save anyone. Even the book of Romans communicates in Romans 8, verse 3 and 4. It says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, the question is, what is the requirement of the law? 
You know what the requirement of the law is? Perfect obedience. That's the requirement. So how did Jesus conquer the demands of the law for sinners like you and I? Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience. The first Adam, when he came, he failed to obey God. And sin came into the world and plundered us all into sin, into the realm of sin. And because of sin, death passed upon all of us. And that's the real, the real reason why we all die. And if we were really honest with ourselves, we have not lived anywhere near close to even a little bit of, of obedience to God, let alone perfect obedience. So examining ourselves by the Ten Commandments really should cause great concern as to our standing with God. So if, if you would this morning examine yourselves by the Ten Commandments, would you be found innocent or guilty? Let me just give them to you in simple form. The first commandment, have you always worshipped the true God and no one else? The second commandment, have you ever had wrong thoughts about God and always worshiped him as the Bible has taught. Third commandment, have you ever used the name of God thoughtlessly or as a swear word? Fourth commandment, have you always set aside Sunday as a special day of worship for God and his, with his people? The fifth commandment, have you always respected and loved your parents and obeyed them? The sixth commandment, have you ever thought of murdering someone or had hateful thoughts about other people? Because Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother, you have already committed murder. Have you ever committed adultery? or had adulterous thoughts about someone else? Have you ever stolen anything? Commandment number nine, have you ever lied? Commandment number 10, have you ever been jealous of other people's possessions? Now, if we were to be examined by God right now, based on that, if we're honest, we're all guilty. Because it says this in the book of James. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has been guilty of it all. So what that means is that the law shows us we are sinners and under God's condemnation. So we're guilty under God's just penalty. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, did not fail, though. It says in Scripture, for in, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Those who know Jesus will be made alive. So how did Jesus satisfy the requirements of the law? Jesus 
lived in perfect obedience to the law and perfectly fulfilled the demands of the law. That means that all those who receive Christ humbly in repentant faith are freed from the condemnation of the law of God. See, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, so all those who believe in Jesus are free from the law. See, that has to, had to be conquered on the cross. A third, and that means that either the law is fulfilled in Christ for you or that you're still under its judgment. A third enemy that needed to be conquered is the wrath of God or the anger of God. And how did Jesus vanquish the wrath of God? Well, he did it by satisfying God's holiness. See, we're enemies of God because of our sin, and Jesus' death provided a satisfaction for God's holiness. So at the cross of Calvary, Jesus made it possible for a holy God to be, a big word, propitious. And that means to be favorably, favorably inclined toward us. Even though we were guilty and are guilty sinners, Jesus satisfied God's holy justice, enabling him to save a people who deserves only judgment. In fact, again, in the epistle to Hebrews, the writer says there, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Another big word, propitiation, a great theological word. And it means that Jesus bore our sin and guilt, that Jesus faced the wrath of God instead of us, and he was innocent. He fully paid it for us because the debt was so big we could never pay it on our own. So propitiation is something done with a view to God. An offering is made to God that satisfied the demands of God's law and his justice. And when Christ gives himself as a propitiatory sacrifice, he satisfies God's requirements of justice. Because God requires the death penalty for sin, Jesus had to die as a man. His just demands that his life would be poured out. And as it tells us in Isaiah 53, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By the knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. So this, that means that God's wrath and justice toward me and you was satisfied for all who put their faith in Christ as their high priest. And Christ is more than a high priest. He is the great high priest. He is the prophet, and he is the king. And Jesus did not satisfy the demands for himself, but for me and for you. By taking upon himself 
my sin and my guilt. That's, that's what the gospel is all about. That Jesus Christ was the sacrifice in his blood in which he said in our place. And because of that, he is the one who satisfies and conquers the wrath of God. And then the word of God tells us this, that God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus. All the anger for, toward sin and sinners, he poured out on Jesus. Where it says in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrated his, demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it tells us this, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So the only way anybody can be saved from the anger of God against our own sin is to believe in Jesus because Jesus took the anger. He took the wrath. So the final judgment that there is a day that has been set with certainty that God will judge the world and all those who have not repented will receive God's justice. And all those who have repented and trusted in his son Jesus Christ will receive mercy and will escape the just wrath of God. I love this passage of scripture in John chapter 3 verse 36 where it says, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Just think of that for a moment. Either the wrath of God has been removed from you and put on Christ, or you're still under it. There's no other place to be. There's no middle ground. Either you're there or you're not. Now, if you neglect the only great means of salvation to escape God's wrath, well, then you will stand alone to face the justice of God. It will not be a matter then at the judgment of how can you escape but the cold, firm reality in front of God, there is no escape. Jesus is the escape now from the wrath of God. So a Christian can stand and declare, I've been saved. My whole position has changed from one, one of being unsaved to being saved, one of, of being condemned to one of being free from God's condemnation. In other words, we are moved from one place to another place of not being a Christian to a place of becoming a real Christian pursuit. Uh, persevering right to the end of our life because we know Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one go, can go to the Father except through him. So it becomes a lifelong pilgrimage for someone who becomes a believer. It's not, oh, I believed in Jesus and I go on and live my old sinful life. No, your sinful life is done. It's dead. It's put in the grave. It doesn't mean you become perfect. What it means is that your desire now is to follow Christ. See, Jesus Christ's death satisfied God's judgment on sin. And that means God appeased his wrath.
towards you. He sent it to Christ and not you. But if you don't have Christ as your Savior, that wrath is still there. And that's why there's such a place as hell. I don't want to see anybody go there. To be separated from God from all eternity would be a horrible existence. You think things are bad in this world sometimes? In this world, we still have mercy. In this world, we still have grace. We woke up today to the sun shining. We woke up today with ears to be able to hear the truth from God's word. That's God's grace and mercy to us. We can never forget the very breath that we breathe and the life he gives us and the family gives us and the food that we're all going to go eat this afternoon is all God's grace. In hell, that's, there's none of that there. And don't ever think that you're going to go there and have a party with your buddies. You're not. There's no party in hell. Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and the beast are all going to be in hell. But they're not going to be reigning there. They're going to be under God's judgment there also. See, the only answer, conclusion that we could have is let's get saved from the wrath of God and believe in Jesus today. Let's not put it off one second because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But there's a fourth enemy that needs to be conquered. And you know what that enemy is? That enemy is Satan himself. In fact, how did Jesus defeat Satan? The only way he could have defeated Satan, destroy him. In fact, listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. For what? To destroy the works of the devil. That's another reason why Jesus came and died on the cross. On that cross, Satan probably thought he was gaining the victory. He won, but on that cross, he lost. He was defeated on the cross. See, Satan still works in the sons of disobedience, but he no longer works in those who are believers. Satan also hides himself in order to blind and deceive people. You know, the greatest thing an enemy could do is that you would never expect they're there. That's, that's the greatest strategy to have. And that's what he does. He blinds people. I'm not there. This is not, this is not the work of Satan. No, it's the work of Satan. When Satan... When Satan keeps people blinded from the truth of the gospel, from the light of the gospel. So either you still live in the domain of Satan in which you are his slave, or you have been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. There is no in-between. There's no straddling the fence on these things. These must be conquered, and they're all conquered in one person, Jesus Christ. So you cannot bypass Christ. Where it says in Colossians 1.13, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Satan had to be defeated, and he was. And finally, he will be cast into the lake of fire which is the second death.
And then this last enemy that had to be conquered is death itself. Isn't death an enemy? Every time I go to a funeral and I, if the coffin's open or closed, it's just a sad occasion. Like, this shouldn't be happening. But death came into the world because of sin. So how did Jesus defeat death? Know how he defeated death? He rose from the dead. He defeated death by rising from the grave. And what does the scripture say? In Corinthians, it says, verse 15, verse 26, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. We know when we get to the new heaven and new earth in Revelation, the book of Revelation, there is no longer any curse or death. There's no crying. There's no tears. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. That's where I want to be. I pray you want to be there too. I really do. I pray that you want to be there. So this is why we celebrate today. And for that fact, we should celebrate every day because his resurrection proved that he is what he said he would be and what he would do. He is the son of God And by rising from the dead, it did prove that God accepted his sacrifice on our, on the behalf of sinners. And anybody who now believes in Jesus Christ, the Bible says he has the authority not only to forgive you, but to give you eternal life. So as I started out, resurrection is victory. There could not have been resurrection if all these enemies were not defeated. And what does it say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 to 58? Listen to what it says. It says, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in what? In victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Through Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we get the victory. And then you know the next verse says this, therefore, because all that stuff is done for you, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, go on to live your life. Don't worry about your, your eternal life or where you're going when, you're di- when, you, when you die because if you believe in Jesus, he's taking care of all of it. Just go work for him, and all that work you do for the Lord, all the good things you do for the Lord after salvation, not for salvation, none of it will be in vain. Even if it's a cup of cold water to someone who needs it, it's not in vain in the name of Christ. And he knows everything that we do. See, we go to live a normal, everyday life for God, for Christ. And he takes notice of everything. So either you are alive in Christ and victorious, or you are dead in your sins and defeated. 
I don't know about you, but I want to be on the victory side. And the victory side is with Christ. Christ died to save us, and now he lives to keep us. And brethren, there is no gospel without Jesus Christ. There is no salvation without Jesus Christ. There is no forgiveness without Jesus Christ. There is no peace without Jesus Christ. There is no Christianity without his death, his shed blood, and his atoning substitutionary sacrifice and his resurrection. There is no such thing as Christianity without that. And that's what makes it so different than every other religious system. From the beginning to the end, all of God's gracious purposes are carried out by Christ, in Christ, and through Christ. It is Christ who is the head of his church. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He rose from the grave. He ascended on high. He is at the right hand of God the Father with all authority and power in heaven and in earth, and he's coming back again. And when he comes, his saints will come with him. Because the next time he comes is not to die on a cross. The next time it comes is to reign as the king on this earth. And we will be reigning with him. That's God's plan. And all in the word of God. Everything substantiated in scripture. So where are you going to be? What side are you going to be on? It's either or. And if you don't know Christ, today is the day. For sure the invitation here is, what Jesus did on the cross is applicable to any person, any person who comes to him. He will in no wise cast that person out. doesn't matter how much sin you have in your life. It doesn't matter how many years you've been sinning. Anyone who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. So I pray this morning for you who do not believe that you may come and believe in Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, and you would ask him to save you. Knowing from Scripture that Jesus receives sinners, that's what he does. And friends, Jesus is willing to take you just as you are and wash you and make you whiter than snow and make you acceptable before the Father. That's what he does. That's his job. That's his job. But see, the question is, do you believe that? And I know one thing, you do what you believe. And if you say you believe something and don't do it, you don't believe it. Right? So if you believe this, that Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners, you are one. He is the Savior. You come to him with your sin. He's the one who took care of all these enemies that you would believe in him. And he will give you eternal life. That means the resurrection means Jesus is the victor. Jesus has risen from the dead and has overcome and defeated all the enemies that stood against us and sought to undo us. And that kept us slaves of sin and death. He's undone it all. So you see, if you have come to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can't do that for you. 
I can show you and point you and tell you, but I cannot do it for you. You must do it yourself. When you do that, you can have great joy, triumph, and confidence that there is victory in Jesus. And why is that? Because Jesus became sin. Because Jesus lived a perfect life. Because Jesus satisfied the holiness of God. Because Jesus destroyed the works of Satan. Because Jesus rose from the grave in resurrection victory. And because he rose from the dead, we who believe in him will raise in victory and those who do not believe in him will raise also in resurrection to be judged. Where are you going to be? See, that's what this day is about. It's about understanding very clearly where we are with God. So where are you? I pray if you have any questions, you would talk with me later or someone else in our church and that you would really make sure that if you were to die today, you would know 100%, you would be 100% sure if you died where you would go. Because there's only one or two places you can go. There's no, the Bible does not teach purgatory, sorry. It is not found in Scripture. The Bible teaches there's a heaven that's entered in through Christ, and there's a hell you don't have to do anything to enter. You'll just stumble into it. So where are you today? I pray that could be answered by you. And if you do answer it, believe me, today would be a different day for you. It's a day of Christ's resurrection unto life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing this last praise song.